Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Over this next hour, I hope you can settle in and enjoy what I suspect is going to be a really wonderful conversation. Our special guest will be Katie Meadows. You'll know that the life we live is often described as a pilgrimage. Well, our special guest today says too many spiritual pilgrimages have ended in the wilderness. But the wilderness is not your destiny. Katie Meadows describes God as promise keeper, deliverer and provider through the powerful stories of Abraham, Joseph, Joshua and, of course, the Israelites. She says, just like God's children of old, the bounty of heaven is available to us, including the Father's love and blessing, protection from the enemy and hope for today and tomorrow. Katie Meadows has just released her new book. It's called Meat Pots, Manna and a Merciful God, Exchanging the Wilderness for Promise. Katie's on the line with us from Bendigo today. Katie, a special welcome along to 2020. Uh, Thank you so much, Neil. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Hey, Katie, let's talk about the title of your book, Meat Pots, Manna and a Merciful God, Exchanging the Wilderness for Promise. That's an interesting, long title, and it tells a story in itself. It does, yes. I I believe you used the word curious, actually, at one point in our conversation, and you're right, it is a bit curious. So the the title is really leading, um, originally I actually had just called it From Egypt to Promise and I thought, no, we need, we need something that tells the story a little bit more. So Meat Pots, of course, represents Egypt and the Israelites were continually looking back to Egypt for their source, you know, rather than God's provision. Manna, of course, is God's provision in the wilderness and represents Jesus as bread of life. And the merciful God, it's just an amazing um, part of the story where God shows his mercy. And I think as a young person and then growing into adulthood, I took a lot of fear with me. So I didn't see God as a merciful God. So to me, that that needed to be on the front cover, that God is a merciful God. Let's come to your story, because uh, when you talk about a title like that and you reflect on the Old Testament, the history of the Israelites, and you've got your own story to share in the middle of all that, Give us some insights here into your own story, which moves on to this personal freedom and blessing. Mm, Thank you. So, look, I guess I have that fairly traditional church girl story sitting in the background, Neil. You know, I gave my life to the Lord at eight, and I absolutely know for certain that he had me from that point on. I have no doubt. But unfortunately, I developed a very religious mindset, and I grew up in a church environment where the Word of God was preached. But when I heard it, I heard a a God with a big stick coming to get me, and I never really understood him as merciful. I never understood him as a loving father. So that, of course, goes into your life, doesn't it? And and it, it really affects the way you do things. So I knew to be good 
And of course, the Bible teaches us that none of us can be good. We can only have righteousness through Jesus. But I tried to be good and I tried to do the right thing. And of course, that sucks you down this big funnel into people pleasing and a whole lot of other things. And of course, it also leads to shame because you know when you mess up that you have done the wrong thing. And unfortunately, that would keep me away from Father God rather than allow me to draw near to him. So I'd be, and I talk about this in the book, I'd be putting my own fig leaves on, you know, trying to hide the shame. And that that was not successful. So the Lord took me on a journey in about 20, uh, probably around 2012, he actually invited me to dig in with my own knife and fork. That's what I heard, you know, pick up your knife and fork and dig in. And he was, of course, referring to getting into the scripture. And then in 2013 and on, I've just gone on this delightful journey where he has shared so many beautiful treasures with me and he's undone this mindset that I've developed. And, of course, when you've developed a mindset, a wilderness mindset over you know, 35, 40 years, it does take a little while to undo that. But praise God that he has been really patient with me. So in that as well, he's changed me completely from the inside out. I may feel like a different person. I feel the light within me and I feel a, a quiet confidence in who I am because I am a daughter of the Most High God. So look, that's it in a nutshell. Um, it's been an amazing journey and that led to writing this book um, because it's really on my heart that others maybe experiencing what I experienced and need to get out of that wilderness place. Let's talk about sharing treasures, as you say, you know, hearing from God and this coming around, the stories or the narrative that we understand, uh, you know, through those pages in the Old Testament that some people think are dry and, you know, it's not so attractive for some to be getting into those Old Testament uh, stories of the Israelites. But when you talk about God sharing treasures, how does that feel when you come across something that you just know is a gem from God? Oh, it's an amazing feeling. It's like the God of all the heavens and all the earth just wants to speak to you and he wants to share with you. And there is a scripture that talks about... Um, you know, that the king's seeking out the treasures, but it's it's God's delight in actually sharing them. And I really felt that he, you just feel special, I think, you know, that God would actually want to talk to me. And I mentioned that in the preface, God would want to talk to little old me. How amazing is that? But I think going a step further, when you actually find these things, and you do need to dig in, you have to persevere, especially if you've come from a place of, feeling like the pages are a little crispy and dry. I totally understand that place. You have to dig in and you have to persevere, but he brings this living water. And see, when you actually put the spirit with the word, rather than getting dryness and rather than getting law, you're actually getting life. And so he would bring the pages alive to me and I would find Jesus in hidden places that I hadn't seen before. And then I learned to dig a little bit deeper and I learned to um, really just listen to that still small voice as I was reading the scripture because he really wanted to share this, these delights with me. And now I know he also wants me to share them with other people as well. Do you think this is the story that a lot of Christians are experiencing? And, you know, I'm sure that there are listeners today who are saying, you know, I've had that sort of dry wilderness experience and I've sought after some of those treasures. And uh, when I've found those treasures, it's been in times when I've been intimately close. But do you think there's a lot of Christian believers who are living in wilderness, in that dryness, uh, and that there is some hope, but they're not looking for it? Mm. 
Absolutely. And and really, that particular group of believers are very much on my heart. I say in the introduction that we need to get our heads around what a wilderness experience is and isn't, because growing up, I would hear the wilderness spoken about as if it was some kind of noble pilgrimage, you know, that we had to go through. And when I really understood from the Israelites' journey and what they experienced in the wilderness, and I discovered for myself that God actually didn't design for them to remain there. It was, a, it was a transitional place. Then I started to look at the wilderness quite differently. Now, the wilderness can represent barrenness. It can represent spiritual dryness, but it can also represent just an outright doubt of God's ability to come through. And that's actually the, the thing that kept them in the wilderness. It was actually the fact that the Israelites were, were fearful. They saw the giants. They also saw the amazing fruit and they saw the abundance of Canaan, but they saw the giants and they allowed that fear to stop them from moving in. And unfortunately in life, I've had to learn this, that you have to let go of your security blankets. You have to let go of some of the things that you've held onto in the world that you feel secure in. And you have to trust God to be your provider. And that is not easy, but that is exactly the point where you apply faith and you just choose to trust him. The scripture that actually God used, I think it was the very first scripture when he was really encouraging me in and just saying, come on, Katie, just step into the water. Just just taste and see that I am good. It was draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we need to take a step and he will meet us. He absolutely will meet us. And he he's a gracious father. He does not force the children. But if the children don't want to run to daddy and get their provision from daddy, well, there's not a lot daddy can do, which I guess is the story of the prodigal, isn't it, in the New Testament. So I, I think that so many believers misunderstand the wilderness or are in a dry place. And to be fair, sometimes the Lord will take you into places and grow and develop you. They can be training bases and training camps, and we really need them. We don't grow in the good times as much as we do in the bad times, but we really only grow and develop when we choose to anchor into God's word and we choose to believe that he is who he says he is, hence the promise keeper label that I use. You know, Abraham chose to do that, and it cost him everything. You know, he, he gave up his life with his family, and he moved with God, but he also became the father of all of the blessings that we now have and know through Jesus. Uh, let's so, go yeah. back to what you were saying. When you were in these dry places, uh, in the wilderness, and the way that you sort of try and fill the void in your life, uh, try and bring some sort of moisture to the dryness, let's say, uh, you were mm-hmm. saying you felt like you were sucked into a big funnel of people-pleasing. And is that like a mm-hmm. peer pressure that uh, you just felt like you had to go along with the in crowd and do the sorts of things that, you know, looked popular? How do, how do you describe that? Yeah, so look, it could look like that. For me, it didn't look like that. For me, it looked like pleasing uh, the religious status quo and what I thought that looked like. It looked like making sure that I I towed the line and I watched my P's and Q's. But unfortunately, instead of doing that from a place of freedom in Christ, because I knew who I was, I was doing it from a place of fear. And so I'd be looking at to other people. Oh, did I do it right? Did I say it right? Oh my goodness, did I say the wrong thing? Have I offended you? All of those things. So my core belief system which the Lord showed me relatively recently in the piece was a, was a course belief system of shame 
I did not understand who I was, my identity in Christ, which has nothing to do with Katie Meadows. It has to do with Jesus Christ and the life that flows through me. And he's given me all provision. Once I chose to link with that reality and understand what the scripture says, then I, I could sort of let go of that shame. But it did take a while to get there. So you have, look, for some people, it could be the in crowd. It could be going to the world for your source, which is what the Israelites did. Hey, I want to go back to Egypt because the going's good and the food's plentiful and we didn't have these problems. Um, they also had rose-coloured uh, glasses on at the time when they said that, of course, because they forgot about the slavery. But I also liken, I think, the spiritual captivity, and uh, we probably want to travel on to there shortly, but just to, just to introduce that, I guess, the people-pleasing is a dangerous thing because it will suck you away from God and into a place of trying to make yourself feel good and feel right away from his promises and his provision, which is, is a dangerous place. And that can be a captivity all in and of itself because you're trying to find your source through other people. You're trying to find your source from the world and it's not satisfying. It's like that lolly that you, you, um, you suck on and it and it's beautiful until it's gone and then you need another hit and you need another hit you need another hit so dangerous place to find yourself you say the ancient israelites blazed their wilderness trail in doubt and tears and this is not the destiny of a believer in jesus father god designed you for relationship blessing and promise this sort of design we have from God, I imagine this is what we do find as we're looking to, you know, reform our identity out of the Scripture and following Christ. But uh, you know, the blazing this trail, doubt and fears, uh, mm. God having designed us for a different relationship, a different purpose. Sometimes we don't necessarily grasp a hold of that easily. I don't think we do. No, and I think that's part of this faith journey, you know. And I, I've discovered that. I, I probably had my eye on Moses and the commandments a lot, but I've since moved my gaze over to Abraham and how amazing that man was. You know, he's in the hall of faith fame in the scripture for a reason. And that, that doubt and that tears, we experience that a lot as humans. We struggle to trust God. We really struggle to believe that he is who he says he is. And I think one of, one of the things that's really important is to use these stories in scripture and read them and understand they really happened and God has placed them there to give us some courage and us some encouragement that he is a God that we can trust and that he will come through and the other part of that is that then you will get your own stories of where God came through so journal them write them down go back to your journal read where God came through especially in those times of doubt when you're really struggling to see his hand and, of course, then you've got the enemy coming in, of course, trying to knock you off your course. So you really do have to decide every day. This is a daily walk. Every day I'm going to get up. I'm going to commit my life to the Lord. It doesn't have to be a 30-minute prayer. It can be a few seconds. And, Lord, I choose today. I choose you. I choose life today. I choose you. And then to place your eyes on that path of righteousness, which he will guide you on, Um you know, and I, I don't want to dismiss the fact, Neil, that there are people who are suffering in this. And I don't want to sound like it's all marshmallows and rainbows because there are going to be days where it's a tough walk. You're going to feel like you're walking up a hill, pushing a barrow of bricks. And, you know, I've had many of those days myself. I've watched family members suffering. I've really felt that 
there are times where I've wanted to say, why, God, why? But as I lift my eyes up into that realm where we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places, I recognize that there's a bigger picture and I can see more clearly to be able to put my foot in the right spot. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Katie Meadows is our guest. Her new book is called Meat Pots, Manna and a Merciful God, Exchanging the Wilderness for Promise. Katie, if we're talking about the sorts of things about wilderness, about looking towards a promised land, let's stay in the wilderness for a moment because I suspect this is around the thought of being in captivity where the Israelites remembered Egypt and they remembered good things about being slaves. Something doesn't quite add up in all of that. How do you describe that sort of captivity? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There was still a captivity in their mind, even though they'd had the physical reality of coming out of Egypt. They they were captives in their mind. And I really think that that's quite profound for us as believers you know we we profess to be believers in Jesus but sometimes our mind or areas of our mind and heart are still in captivity and this will happen unlike the the Egyptians it was very sorry the Israelites it was very very physical it was a real reality and God uses that picture of captivity to help us see the brutality of it and the damage that it does. So they've come out and I believe that they were probably a generation of traumatized people because that happens when you've been placed under serious servitude under a master as strong as Egypt. We can actually have that experience too. You know, you come into salvation and you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily just suddenly everything's fine you will often have to work through a journey and I think some people don't realize this and we still often experience our own uh, trauma from the past generational stuff that catches up with us um, things that we have that are habitual realities in ourselves where we we may not make the right choices we may not be making healthy choices and they all really are are linked to wounds in the heart woundedness um, personal sins those kind of things but even personal sins can come from woundedness so over this time this journey the Lord has shown me that wounds must be healed and I'll give you a brilliant example that a friend showed me when I had no idea about this internal inner me that needed to be healed I really was very focused on as I said originally that good girl facade which was I've got to do the right thing I've got to look like I'm doing the right thing but I didn't realize the inside needed to be fixed up so that place of captivity for me was something the Lord had to show me and a friend gave me the image of a wound she said Katie if you had a major gash on your arm would and you went to the doctor they're not just going to put a bandage over the top of it and hide it they're actually going to treat the wound they're going to cleanse it they're going to clean it up they're probably going to stitch it and then they're going to bandage it but there's a process of healing that wound and it just hit me like a a bolt of lightning and I thought wow okay so there's some cleanup that needs to happen inside me where there are all these hurts and things see part of being a church girl a good girl was that I thought that it wasn't great to display my emotions you know, probably some of my heritage, that stiff upper lip kind of thing, 
don't display your emotions, bottle everything up, just smile. Forgiving actually meant just not saying anything and moving on. Well, of course, what happens over a period of time? It's like the proverbial garbage dump. It just mounts up and it, it doesn't go away. It stays in there and, and then it becomes compacted and that's when it can get dangerous because you can get an infection happening. Things like resentment can build up and you can get into a very uncomfortable internal position. Now, that's my story. Other people will have different stories. Maybe they've lived a life in the past of promiscuity or other things that they have done to themselves that have caused deep scars and deep wounds. Now, Father God says that he, he's, Jesus has come to open the prison doors, to set the captives free, and to heal the brokenhearted. And this was a scripture that just leapt out. And when I recognized Jesus as the one who heals the brokenhearted, I, I saw that emotional connection and I understood that he doesn't just want me safe um, in this kind of pretends sitting on a pew safe dwelling place, you know, that I'd conjured up in my head, which apparently is non-existent. It was my imagination. He actually wanted me to be cleansed from the inside out. So there was more room for his spirit to flow. And there was more room for the living water to come out and to bless other people. Because if you've got a toxic waste dump built up inside you, you know, James talks about this. There's a spring of water and, and you can either have bitter or you can have sweet. They don't go together. The bitter water will always mess up the sweet water. So these are some profound principles that I started to see from Scripture. And I started to recognize that Jesus didn't just come to put me in heaven one day. Jesus came so that I can have a life of provision and purpose and fulfillment now, today. We think of the past, and uh, just as you're talking, just reminding me of all of the stories that you'd read uh, throughout uh, the narrative of the Old Testament there. But Egypt really being part of the problem. Sometimes we think of three parts to the story, Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land. But Egypt is a bad part of the story too because there's a slavery in the land of Egypt. Uh, but God takes the people out of Egypt and he puts them on a process of building a people for himself, establishing a nation under God, uh, teaching a people to trust in him. So when you are going through those hardships, you've got to sort of see with different eyes, haven't you? You do. Yeah. There's, there's a chapter in the book that I have called The Charm of Egypt and I really wanted to point out that rather than Egypt just being this place in our mind that's a bit vague okay so they were in slavery and they were pulled out to actually understand the power of the culture that they were in and what that culture did to them and they were worshipping sorry not necessarily the Hebrews but the worship in Egypt was of false gods and it was a very strong profound worship so coming out of this they knew all about the false gods and they knew all about the worship of Egypt and all of the mysticism and, and magical stuff that went with that. So you're right, God was actually separating them and he was pulling them out and calling a people his own. And that process was very painful for them. They didn't take to that process easily. We've got the Joshua's and the Caleb's who stood up and said, count me in. And of course, Moses, um, they really wanted to listen to God. But it was an undoing, and I think this has also been part of my story, getting Egypt out of you. You're getting the world out of you. That takes time and is usually a process. It's not usually a, a, a one hit. Um, 
Sorry, you said something else, uh, Neil. That's all right. As well as but what you're doing is connecting the Hebrew journey uh, out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land, and you're connecting that to Jesus, saving mm. us and healing us and delivering us. That's a powerful connection, isn't it, between Old and New Testaments? Absolutely. Yeah. And when I started to see that, you know, the, the coming out, I liken the coming out of Egypt as that entrance into salvation where you recognize that Jesus is is this amazing person. You may not understand him in his fullness yet because you've got a long way to go, but you're like, I'm keen for the journey and yes, I will follow Jesus. So you come out as they did celebrating out of Egypt and then you hit the Red Sea and you think, oh, what do I do here? You know, and it's a massive faith test because they don't really understand the fullness of God yet. They've just started to tippy toe in. So in our journey, we've got these pivotal moments in the Red Sea, um, that baptism moment where they're taken through and the enemy is destroyed. You know, I talk a lot about that in the book and the different areas that where the Old Testament and the New Testament parallel. And we need to see our journey as believers in Jesus reflected back onto this because it tells us a lot about our journey, what to expect, the enemy's tactics, how he operates, and then we can be a step ahead and we can understand our journey in a different light. Katie, we were talking about the captivity of the mind that happens when you're in a sort of an Egypt type of society. And then we're into the wilderness, and when we reflect on the promised land, I can't help but think of those 12 spies that went into the promised land, and they saw the fruit of the land, incredible fruit they'd almost never seen before, never dreamed about. And the fact is, though, that the Canaanites who inhabited the land were giants. I wonder if you've got some reflection here on this journey because we can sort of see our own journey and the giants in our own lives. How do you describe what giants might look like today? Yeah, good question. So giants, obviously there's there's two parts to this and I have a chapter called Fighting Giants in the book and I might just grab a couple of things out of that. The first thing I will say is you don't fight giants in your own power. You don't fight giants in your own power. It is really important to understand that there is a certain uh, spiritual element that you can only deal with in God's power. And this is something that David recognized when he fought Goliath. That's why David had success with Goliath. Yes, there was a physical presence in front of him, but there was also a spiritual representation there and somebody that was taunting his God and saying, well, I'm bigger. I'm superior and I'm going to intimidate you and I'm going to shut you down. Unfortunately, that's what happened to the Israelites when they tried to go into the land of promise that first time. And it is their doubt that set them on a pathway for another 38 years, sadly. So when they came into the promised land, there were real people that were the descendants of giants and they were very large and very intimidating and they saw them and they thought, wow, we we can't defeat them. It didn't matter what God had been telling them. They said, we can't do this, even though they had had some successes along the way with the enemy that came against them. So they allowed the enemy to get to their mind. Now today, Yes, we do have uh, the enemy prowling around like a roaring lion and there certainly are spiritual principalities out there, the Bible tells us about them, who are pulling the strings there. But the giants we face today, they may have names like fear, apathy, comparison, rejection, double-mindedness, confusion 
and many, many more. And some people are really struggling on a day-to-day basis with this spiritual book, big guy that I talk about. If I could just read something very quickly from the chapter Fighting Giants. I say where a giant has taken ground somewhere in our life, we must take it back. We absolutely cannot share territory deeded to us by God. The only way we can gain victory is to destroy the spiritual giant in our life exactly in the pattern of Israel. And just like Israel, we may need a little help from some friends. So there's often this, uh, in these mental states, there's a spiritual big guy pulling the strings, which explains why people can sometimes not seem to get free from things like counselling awesome personal development because I actually have to do what the Bible tells us in the New Testament to do a big clean out you've got to get rid of the the spiritual issue first and then you can actually clean out the house and fill it with the Spirit of God and and, um, take victory now as believers though we can still have these giants coming at us As I said earlier, just because you walk into salvation and profess Jesus doesn't mean that you suddenly become renewed immediately. Renewal and sanctification is a process that we have to walk through. And it's that process that actually celebrates God's goodness and that declares to the earth the light of Jesus and the work of Jesus. So it's a good thing. Uh, But it's that process that we also need to become more like Jesus. Now, the Israelites... They did poke their nose over the fence, so to speak, in uh, in Canaan, and they saw these big guys. But later in the story, even after Joshua had successfully taken the new generation of Israelites through across the Jordan and into the Promised Land, and they took Jericho first, this major stronghold that they, they took first, which was God saying, hey, I'm giving you a spiritual big guy here, and you can knock this one out, and then the rest of the land is going to look at you and go, wow, these Israelites, we need, we need to really fear them. Um, unfortunately, they didn't knock out all of the giants, so to speak. They didn't take all of the enemy, as God told them to do. And because they didn't do that, that came back to bite them later. And that same principle applies to us. If we don't do a proper clean-up with the Holy Spirit and we don't work through some of these things from our past, our connections, things that we've maybe invited into our life and things that maybe have happened to us. We don't, you know, not everything is, is our choice to do. There's personal sins. But sometimes there are things done to us that cause trauma and allow the enemy to take, uh, it's kind of like a little bit of a, you know, poke at you and and get some victories because it's like they can see the big red button. Um, So I think we have to, yes, jump in. I was going to say, let's just touch on some of these giants here because uh, no doubt uh, so many of us listening in will identify one or two of those giants that we've either had to deal with or we might be dealing with right now. You said things like fear and Mm. apathy and this sort of self-comparison ourselves with others, uh, rejection, double-mindedness and confusion. Let me just ask you about double-mindedness here because obviously when we've got these doubts about whether God can deliver us, whether he can take us from the wilderness and put us into that promised land, uh, these sorts of things when you feel like as the Israelites came back, those spies came back and said, we're just like grasshoppers compared to these giants. Sometimes it just is so big and such a challenge to have faith in God when we feel like the grasshopper and we know that they are the giants. This double-mindedness, this doubt, how do you overcome that, do you think, Katie? Mm. 
Well, it takes a supernatural dose of faith and it takes a force of will. So you're right, that is a classic example of what double-mindedness looks like. One day you're thanking God for the manna that's coming down from heaven and the next day you're, you're saying, no, we can't do what you've asked us to do because we look like grasshoppers. So I think you look at the model. I, I think this is where scripture's great because there are models that have been set for us. And we've got Joshua and Caleb as two amazing models. Now, they didn't do what the crowd said. They didn't follow the crowd. They did not succumb to peer pressure. They chose to actually believe what they'd seen God do in the past and reflect on that and listen to his word and go, you know what, 100% of the time when he's spoken, he's come through. 100% of the time, he's never let us down. So I'm going to choose to believe the God of 100% of the time and I'm going to put my foot forward in that direction even though it looks scary. So I want to make it clear that faith is not necessarily the absence of uh, concern or, or fears or, or some nervousness or anxiety at times. Faith is actually a, a verb. You know, James really talks about this. Faith is, is shown by its action. So the fact that Caleb and Joshua were still prepared to forge forward is they were prepared to put their faith in action and not just talk about it. Double-mindedness keeps us unstable. It's like shifting sand. And unfortunately, it is the opposite of faith and it undermines um, us in our faith walk. So the giants are there. I can see the giants. I can identify the giants. I might feel like a grasshopper, but I'm going anyway, not because I think I've got the capacity to overcome those giants, but the one in whom I have put my faith, he has the power to overcome those giants. Wonderful stuff to think about that. The thought, mm -hmm. though, when the giants are there, and you're double-minded, you're filled with all sorts of doubt, as to who you are, uh, the thought that you might have some promises from God and you might hold on to those tightly, but you are still feeling like the grasshopper. The giants steal away your promises because the giants look too big. Any thoughts here on how you sort of, you know, how do you deal mm -hmm. with that sort of thing, Katie? Mm. No, it's a very good question because we have to live our faith out practically. Um, look, we do struggle to walk in, in victory sometimes because we we are intimidated by these giants and of course we're humans with emotions and something like fear is very difficult to fight through so as i said earlier there might be some spiritual connections that we need untangled and we might need to get together with a trusted uh, pastor spiritual mentor somebody who is firm in the faith somebody who understands the, the nature of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with some of these roots. Because sometimes if you don't get the root away, you can try and battle fear all day long and, and you're still going to be in fear. So we use the body of Christ and we use the gifts that have been given to help us to be nourished, to be strengthened and to be delivered in these areas of captivity of our mind, etc. Um, I think too, you know, I talk in the book about picking up our stick, you know, like Moses did, that rod of authority, which is the authority of Jesus, and waving it at the obstacles that stand in your way. Rather than shrugging your shoulders and dropping your hands in defeat and saying, oh, look, this must be God's will. Well, no, not always. Um, there are times where it's actually the enemy, the giant, that is intimidating you and standing in your path and going, na 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 na, you can't come in here, this is not yours. And as a child of the Most High God, we can say, well, actually, what God has ordained, what God has said, that is mine, that is my inheritance, I'm coming through anyway. 
So sometimes it is a little bit about um, having the courage not of ourselves, it's not about shouting down the enemy in our own strength, but having the courage to just partner with who Jesus is and recognizing his authority. We stand in his authority as kings, and I use kings generally as the scriptural term, whether you're male or female, we're, we're called into this place of being priests and kings alongside Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God. So when we're talking about coming into the promised land, in the book, um, obviously I'm talking a lot about them coming into a very physical place, which we now know is Israel. But there is a spiritual place of promise that we are called into. And I really believe, you know, it says in Psalm 139 verse 16 that that uh, the psalmist says his steps have been written in his book in heaven. You know, there is there is a place that God is a God of decree. He is a God of word. He is the word. So he speaks and he writes things down. We read of scrolls and things in scripture. And so our life is decreed. God created us to walk in promise with him and to bring the kingdom to earth. So rather than just viewing the promised land as potentially being eternity and being heaven, you know, far, far away one day, that can actually dissociate our faith walk from today and we're not connecting it. It we have to be able to understand our faith in terms of today and that we are every day as the light of the world designed to bring the kingdom to earth and to invite the king in. Now, the ancients knew this and the whole um, concept of the apostle is really built on this. When you think about the emperors, they had this whole group when they'd taken a place or a region, they had this whole group of people that would go in and they would change the culture, the architects, the teachers, all of these gifts and callings were taken in so that the new city where the emperor would visit and would potentially dwell felt like home. It was full of the emperor's culture. Now, this is what we're doing. This is a kingdom principle. We see it on the earth as it is. Um, Jesus talks about what is in, in heaven comes to earth. You know, there's these principles and the principle of kingdom comes from God, of course. The enemy tries to counterfeit it all the time. That's all he can do is counterfeit. But the principle of kingdom comes from heaven. So the Lord is wanting to bring his kingdom to earth. And so we are the ones that are bringing that. We're not just walking around having a good time and trying to do the right thing. We're designed to be kings and priests bringing the message of Jesus and bringing the kingdom wherever we go. And the enemy doesn't like that. He wants to stand in your way and stop you from doing that. But we have to remember that the light separates from the darkness and the authority of the king of kings is much greater than the authority of any other giant that we'll face. So when we're feeling double-minded, when we're feeling fearful, uh, feeling apathetic, all of those different things uh, you're saying, these are like giants Pick up your rod of authority. Now, I think there'll be a lot of listeners who will have heard you say, pick up your stick. And it sounds like that, you know, sometimes when we're feeling like grasshoppers, we might think, well, I'm not sure whether this rod of authority is really the same sort of one that Moses would held up, would have held up, but uh, I'll try with this stick that's in my hand and wave it at the obstacles. I mean, I love the way you're putting that uh, that sort of thing, Katie. But the authority that we're talking about here, Jesus' name, God's word, the shed blood, the promises of God, 
bringing the kingdom of God. As you say, even uh, the ministry of the apostle or the prophet, so bringing something of a different and changing culture. So picking up that rod of authority actually bears a fairly big dividend, doesn't it? It does. You're absolutely right. And perhaps I can conclude our, our giant conversation with just a paragraph on David because I think King David, actually before he was king, truly king, he provides the best example of how to fight a giant other than Joshua and Caleb. So if, if I could be permitted just to read yeah. a short bit, I sure. think it might summarise. So it says, understanding that the fight is not ours but God's is important. David won because he put his faith in the God who fought Israel's battles against giants centuries earlier. So he had that in his mind. He also understood what the giant represented. This was the seed of a counterfeit God against the seed of the Most High God. David's battle with Goliath is also an image of the subsequent battle between Jesus and Satan. The spirit within Goliath was weak because it was full of puffery and taunts. The spirit within David was strong. Of course, we know it's the spirit of Jesus and easily overcame the enemy. And I note that when the stone hit, it hit the place of knowledge. Um, it, it was smack in the middle of his head. So all that puffery, the taunts, the words that he was putting out. You know, David was like, mate, I'm going straight for that place of knowledge. You don't have any knowledge. I've got the wisdom of God. And his target was straight and Sure. So while this giant was physically superior and had no sense of spiritual direction whatsoever, um, you know, he was full of vain imaginations and tried to set himself up against the, the knowledge of God. And David got really cranky about that. He was righteously angry on behalf of his God. So I think we see also in David's life, I know who my God is. I've chosen to put my trust and my faith in him. He's taught me on the other things like the bears and the lions. I mean, hello. I don't exactly fight bears and lions every day, but this guy did. And so there was a pathway that God took him on to be able to defeat the giant. So sometimes we can't go straight for the big giant. We've got to have a little bit of a, a pathway of developing some strength and some courage in the smaller things. And then we can actually head for the big giants. But as I said, this is why God's put us in community so that we've got others around us, Neil, that we can rely on who have the gifts and callings or maybe the, the place of courage at that time or maybe they can see things that we can't. They've got discernment that we don't have in the moment and we can rely on them to actually help us through that battle. We don't fight battles alone. We fight them through the power of God, through his spirit, but we also fight them in community. Let's bring this back to a really practical level just as we tie up the loose ends in our conversation because, you know, those giants are there. We can all identify times when we've been overcome by fear and apathy and rejection, double-mindedness. But when this applies to our family, our marriage, uh, to our career, to the challenges that our communities are facing right now, we need something of a rod of authority to be able to in some ways, uh, you know, put that stake in the ground. So the kingdom of God is here. So we might be shaking in our boots at times when we've got to speak up, but this is a really practical way too. What are your thoughts around my family, my career, the challenges that are, are faced in our community? Mm, absolutely. I think the first point I'd make clear is that we get angry with the enemy of God coming at us, but we're gentle with people. 
And I think it's really important to understand that you know, we exhibit the fruit of the spirit towards people. We're loving, we're kind, we're gentle. So we're not yelling at a person. We're not waving a stick at a person. That's not going to get us anywhere. That is counterproductive. So when we're talking about authority, there are times when Jesus did grab the whip, run into the temple, but he had this quiet authority and assurance of who he was. So if the first thing is you've got to know who you are. If you don't know who you are and whose you are, then you're not going to be able to do anything. I remember a number of years ago, a guy looking me in the eye, and I know that it was the Holy Spirit's words coming through this guy's mouth. He said, Katie, you need to know your authority. And I looked at him and I knew them as words. I could hear words and I understood the theological context of what he was saying, but I didn't know it as a reality, Neil. So this is where the Holy Spirit had to take me on that journey first so that I could learn what my authority was, so I could stand in my identity, so then I could fight for my family. And in fact, the fight for my family was a lot of the reason why I went on this journey, because I could see need and I really wanted to make a difference and I really wanted to see the Lord's breakthrough and healing in my family. So that took me on a lot of this journey. Now, the way that we we work through the difficulties in our marriage, the difficulties with our children, with our family, and the heartbreak that can come with that is firmly on our knees. And I don't necessarily mean you have to physically be on your knees, but I'm talking about warfare in the spirit, going to the King of Kings and declaring. The other thing the Lord showed me was, yes, you've got to be close and you've got to be praying and you've got to be trusting. I had to learn to leave my family in his arms. Once I delivered them there in prayer, I had to leave them there because I had a tendency to want to pull them back into my control again. So like, okay, Lord, this is part of the faith journey. I need to learn to let go and I need to learn to pray in accordance with your will, which I learned what that was by reading the Bible. And then I can leave them there because you are a God of promise and you are not going to let me down and you don't tease and you don't taunt and you don't make, uh, you don't say things that you don't come through on. But there's another side to this, which is um, how we use our mouths. And we can use our mouths because we are belonging to the King of Kings. Now, in creation, God spoke and things came into being. When that Holy Spirit power, the Holy Spirit himself residing in us, is in us, and we speak, when we do speak understanding who we are as the the kings and priests on the earth representing Jesus until he comes, then we can actually speak understanding that and expecting our words to hit the mark. So we can bless. And one thing I haven't touched on yet is I talk a lot about blessing and curses. So we can be cursing, not even realizing it, by negativity, by complaints, by speaking, oh, well, they're not going to amount to anything. Oh, I'm really worried about my, my son or my daughter. Oh, Lord, we can be complaining and negative and unfortunately that can come out as a curse because it's an it's the opposite of the kingdom or we can speak into blessing which is i'm going to partner with what god's saying about their life like jesus did with identity the person standing in front of him often wasn't living the way that jesus was speaking but he was talking about their identity and who they're designed to be. So we speak that in as well. And I, I tell you what, there is power in proclaiming scripture and power in proclaiming someone's identity. It's a beautiful thing. And I think we should be doing more of it for our loved ones and those around it. That is also a way of having authority in our situation because we're not partnering with what the enemy is saying. 
Well, Katie, great wisdom. And no doubt there'll be listeners might want to get a hold of your new book. And it presupposes a little bit of Bible understanding, uh, but you've got short topical chapters with chapter subheadings to make it an easy read. It's called Meat Pots, Manna and a Merciful God. Exchanging the Wilderness for Promise, and it's available at online booksellers. Now, to connect with Katie, you can do so at her website. It's katiemeadows.life. That's Katie with a K, K-A-T-I-E, Meadows, M-E-A-D-O-W-S, dot life. katiemeadows.life. Katie, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts, your insights with listeners today here on 2020. Thank you, Neil. You've been an absolute blessing. It's been a privilege. God bless you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.